Welcome to the NSCA Coaching Podcast, episode 110. Understanding how to communicate to different people and different personalities. I spoke to everybody on staff the same way. Not everybody's going to hear me correctly or understand or take it the same way. So it really taught me to get to know the people around me. This is the NSCA's Coaching Podcast, where we talk to strength and conditioning coaches about what you really need to know, but probably didn't learn in school. There's strength and conditioning, and then there's everything else. Welcome to the NSCA Coaching Podcast. I'm Eric McMahon. Today, we're joined by Christina Rasnick, Director of Sports Science and Analytics at the University of Delaware. Christina is an experienced strength and conditioning coach, and in her current role, oversees data collection, analysis, and performance technology for Delaware's 21 varsity sports teams. Christina, it's great to have you with us today. Thank you for having me, Eric. So first, I want to say congrats on your new position. I, I think I heard about it on social media, got posted out there, and uh, always great to see uh, a coach getting promoted into a, into a new role. So tell us about this new role and your path into the profession. Yeah, awesome. I'd be happy to do that. So Currently um, at the University of Delaware as the Director of Sports Science and Analytics. Um, I started doing sports analytics as a hobby while at a couple of the previous universities and it became a, a position. Um, I, like you said, I oversee all 21 of our varsity teams and I also oversee our internship program that um, we work closely with our sport management majors and our uh, applied statistics and economic majors. Um, and so they're helping me on the daily to make sure everything's running well in um, administering and executing the performance technology we have, um, analyzing it and providing our coaches, uh, our support staff members, our athletic trainers, strength conditioning coaches, performance nutrition with reports and uh, the creation of dashboards. So it's easy for our coaches to see a snapshot of where their athletes are in real time. Your, your path was through strength and conditioning and you still work with some teams at Delaware. Uh, tell us about, tell us about that, the training side of it and how that evolved into this role uh, on the sports science side. Yeah. So currently I'm, I'm work with our uh, women's field hockey team at Delaware. Um, previously I'd worked with almost every team at UD except for like five. Um, so I, I have really good relationships with all our coaches, but my career started as um, a student intern at Lock Haven University. I was a recreation management major. I played field hockey there and that got me intrigued with strength conditioning because I injured myself and I was agitated because I felt like it could have been prevented. And I liked that strength and conditioning is more proactive than reactive with injuries and performance. Um, so I started diving deeper into that. I interned at LaSalle University my senior year with Brian Bingaman. Um, I then went to Bloomsburg University for grad school. Um, so I got my feet wet with the more science practical side, but also the, the logic that is necessary to do our job um, and understand uh, numbers. So that's where my uh, analytic statistics kind of bug bit me. Um, so I worked with nine teams there as the strength conditioning coach, plus was a research assistant. We didn't have a strength coach at Bloomsburg. So I was the point person uh, between the coaches and the uh, administration, the ADs, to help our student athletes get an opportunity to use the weight room. 
So I stayed there my, my whole time as a GA um, at Bloomsburg. Then I went to Dartmouth. Dartmouth was my first full-time position. I worked with 13 teams. That's normal in the Ivy League. Um, I always say, if you can work in the Ivies, you can work anywhere because uh, time management is one thing you either can figure out you have or you don't. Um, so I was there for two years and started getting my feet wet with performance technology. They had a polar heart rate system um, that I was able to uh, familiarize myself with. Um, and so that was really rewarding and opened my eyes and provided me the opportunity to go to my next stop, which was um, Missouri State University, where I oversaw men's and women's soccer, women's field hockey and women's track and field and cross country. And while at Missouri State, um, I was able to utilize um, GPS with both the soccer teams. And what was great about that experience is the coach gave me the opportunity to learn the system, the GPS systems, and to be able to apply it and help them with their practice planning um, and limited minute kids compared to the full starters and make kind of a red, yellow, green light system for conditioning and practice. And that obviously then goes into this, the weight room with strength conditioning, you know, who, who can do a full lift, a modified lift, and maybe a recovery um, after a game. So not so much a cookie cutter, here's men's soccer's program, it was cut down to very specific. Um, and then after that, I arrived at Delaware in 2016, and I started as assistant strength conditioning coach, um, and I was doing the sports analytics as a hobby, mainly with my teams. Our um, main people that oversee our sport performance team, Dan Watson um, and Chris Stewart, who is the head strength conditioning coach here at Delaware, were both very intrigued, told our AD, Chrissy Rayrock, she's a data nerd like myself, and she's like, we need this for everybody. So then my position grew and I added a sports analytics uh, slash after the assistant strength conditioning role. And um, luckily enough, I, I was supported and provided the opportunity to make this more of my role with the analytics and the, and the sports science side of things while still being able to keep my feet wet with field hockey in the weight room, which was my sport in college. So that, that's an awesome connection there too. There's a couple themes that come through and just hearing your story. And one is, you know, you had a number of different stops along the way where you picked up different things at each stop. And, and the other really is with this push towards more technology in the weight room and on the training side, you were picking up new pieces of technology, whether it was heart rate monitoring or GPS at every stop. Uh, that's a question I actually get a lot as we were talking more about the NSCA sports science program is, you know, what are some of the key technology spaces or areas that you feel young coaches or uh, aspiring sports scientists should focus in on early in their career so that they're more prepared uh, when they do get into a professional role? Yeah, that's a great question because I look at it as what do I wish I was told? in my first internship, right? And that was a couple of years ago. Um, you know, I'm not trying to say how many years I've been in the field, but you can put the math together. Um, but I would say the easiest is using subjective data and applying that to your program because it's number one free. And if you can utilize the information that 
the athletes are giving you, you're going to get more buy-in from your uh, head coaches, as well as the athletes and them knowing that you truly care and you're willing to modify based on how they're feeling in live time. So understanding how to utilize um, wellness questionnaires, wellness surveys are number one priority, in my opinion, because they're free and easy. Um, you can set up a, a Google form and it, the information is collected in Google Sheets or there's apps out there that can collect that as well. Um, I think having an understanding of different ways to measure power, um, power output through um, uh, a just jump mat, for instance, or um, a Vertec and utilizing the metrics that you're collecting to use equations to give you power in watts um, is really um, easy to do. Most universities, D1 to D3 to NAIA to JUCO, they're going to have something there that you can measure jump height, um, even if it's a wall and a tape measure. Uh, you can make that work. Um, and the, the next one, um, it's not invasive, but heart rate. I think understanding heart rate is really important because um, it's the easiest thing to measure. You can either have the student athletes tracking their resting heart rate um, or have a moment in the beginning of lift where they just calm themselves. They can uh, see where the resting heart rate is in that moment. You can track that day to day. Um, and if you have the opportunity to have wearables, um, which is awesome, uh, it gives you more information and you can learn how to program your conditioning, how, how rest time um, or substitutions could occur in some sports that allow for multiple um, substitutions other than men's and women's soccer, you know, lacrosse, field hockey, there's multiple subbing throughout the game, offense to defense. So you know exactly how long a student athlete or an athlete has the ability to rest and then recover and get back into it. And I think that's really important um, to understand. Um, and those are all things on a budget that are easy to track. But I feel like breaking it down, understanding how to look at subjective data, anything that measures power output, even if it's force plates, um, and then heart rate monitoring. And you can get familiar with GPS, but I think that's an extra level of you know um, financial burden to some departments. And the way I look at it is what's bang for your buck. What, what can I get more out of a, a survey or an RPE rating where I don't have to then go and buy GPS? But I think getting your feet wet in how technology works and how it can help us is, is very vital for strength conditioning coaches. Yeah, I think back one of the first times I spoke for the NSCA, uh, I was speaking on BBT and you know, and much like you, it was just an experience where I got exposed to gym aware and one piece of technology. And then I was sharing just the program that we put in place with it and, and how beneficial that was. And that was really the, the presentation, but feedback after a presentation, there's a lot of coaches that just aren't going to have the financial means to put that program in place just because of the cost burden of certain technologies. And it's a unique approach to start with the subjective, like you mentioned. I think one of the big pushes, as we say, oh, evidence-based, you know, well, we assume in that that we're getting more objective with our analysis and our outlook on performance and decisions uh, versus the subjective. But if we can use that, that may actually help us on the back end of relating with our athletes, because that's where, that's where the information needs to really be applied. Uh, I want to ask you on the staffing side. You know, you've, you're part of the strength and conditioning staff, and now you oversee 
sports science, data collection, analytics across a wide variety of different sports. How is Delaware approaching staffing and support for, for you in this role? And how are the strength coaches for the team supporting uh, this new direction? So I will have to say that it starts from the top and works its way down. So Chrissy Raybrock, like I mentioned earlier, is our athletic director. And she really supports this um, new area, the sports science and analytics department that we've created under the umbrella of our sport performance team. Um, and with her support, that trickles down. Um, we're, we're a sport performance team first, and we have different areas. So there's performance nutrition, sports psych, sports science and analytics, athletic training, and strength conditioning. So we're all a team supporting each other. So the workflows need to flow where we're communicating with each other, which obviously with a team of one, which is me, communication is key. So if I can have the support of the strength and conditioning coaches to help with our force plate testing um, and have my interns there, you know, that saves me time to then have a meeting with a head coach and break down practice plan for the week. Um, our athletic trainers are great with helping with best practices uh, based on our wellness survey that we collect. So if I get a red flag from a student athlete and let's say their sleep is poor and their muscle soreness is really high, um, we can ask our athletic trainers to provide um, self-care information on for the athlete on what they should be doing to help with their um, nicks and bruises. Um, so that's very helpful for me. So I don't always have to be that voice. Um, so we're all talking on the same level. Um, we do have one role, which was my previous role, the assistant strength and conditioning slash sports analytics. That position we we kept and we have just hired um, her onto, um, onto campus. She just started last week. Um, her name is Gabby Smith. So she just started with us. So she will be my hand, right hand person. Um, she's gonna be, um, overseeing strength conditioning with teams, but she's also going to be assisting with me um, on all the sports science and analytics. And what's really cool, and I mentioned it earlier, we have great partnerships with our uh, upper campus, our sport management program through Learner College and our applied um, economics and statistics uh, majors. And so I'm going to have three statistics majors, two remote, one hybrid, throughout the fall. Um, one of those students is with me all year. Um, so he's gonna be doing a lot of statistics, look at the sports statistics um, intertwined with the performance. And then I'm gonna have about nine sport management majors that are going to assist me with the administration of our performance technology, assisting the uh, strength conditioning coaches and athletic trainers with providing um, self-care as well to our students and to help me with uh, dashboards. And yet again, I'm looking at it as an opportunity to help educate and build the field, grow the field, because um, it is young. Um, sports analytics, sports science, in my opinion, is still young. It's still growing. Um, you can say the same thing about strength conditioning. It hasn't been around for 100 plus years. So it's not like teaching, right? Teaching has been happening forever. But I want to make sure that I'm teaching my student interns. So if they truly have an interest in this, they can go to the next level. I liked how you got into uh, the affiliation on the academic side, sports management economics, statistics, 
you know, in, in putting together this new NSCA sports science certification, we've had to dive into a number of different academic fields that really connect under the sports science umbrella. And so it's, it's great to hear you mention that because the role of mathematics, statistics, uh, we typically wouldn't think of economics, but those skills do cross over in a lot of ways. I saw in your background, you have a master's degree in strategic leadership. And uh, I know business analytics is a huge growth area right now. Uh, and, and it parallels what's going on in sport. Speak to your background on the leadership side, how that connects with your coaching in this new role and what leadership principles you, you value as important in, uh, in strength and conditioning and sports science. Yeah, so I received my MBA in strategic leadership from University of Delaware. So that was pretty cool. Um, I just graduated this past May. Um, so I'm taking a break from school right now. Not done, but taking a little break right now to recover and re-energize. Re, um, um, what was cool about that um, MBA program is is fully online and self-paced. So I was able to do my full-time job as it was um, obviously mat maturing and becoming what I'm doing now. Um, I was able to apply almost everything I was learning in every class, whether it was uh, business analytic specific, I had to take an economics class and that was the first time I ever dealt with economics, but everything I learned, I could take something and apply it to sports or the way I worked with my peers or the way that I supervised my interns and other um, people that reported to me and the way that people now report to me. So a lot of what we learned is people skills. And I feel like that is something that everybody can um, utilize and learn from as they continue in the field, whether it's year one or year 20, um, we can continue to learn how to work with each other and communicate. So a lot of what I took from it was understanding how to communicate to different people and different personalities. I, I spoke to everybody on staff the same way. Not everybody's going to hear me correctly or understand or take it the same way. So it really taught me to get to know the people around me. Um, and on the more business side, I was really able to learn a lot of easier way to manage my time with the um, data science, the, the analytics side. Um, I was able to shorten the amount of time it took me to analyze things because I was learning new concepts and able to dig in with different articles that then I can apply to what I'm doing currently um, in my role currently um, at UD. But one thing that I loved the most was there was an ethics class I had to take. Um, and this happened, I took the class right before, um, it was, it was in spring of last year. So there was a lot of ethical issues going on in our country and a lot of, uh, social injustice, um, uh, issues. And what was really eye-opening for me was what I learned in that ethics class kind of rolls into how we treat each other in society. We, we need to be more aware of that. And I really feel that 
that ethics class has made me a better strength conditioning coach and understanding what is right, what is wrong, what happens in business, what, you know, there's a lot of things in business that aren't ethically correct. Well, we need to make sure that in strength conditioning and sport performance and sports science, we're ethical, right? That's with how we track our data, de-identify what we're posting online. Those are all part of ethical practices that I learned and applied immediately because we, we need to protect those around us and who we're serving. So we're serving our coaches and they might not want certain things publicized. Our student athletes' private information should be privatized, de-identified, call them, you know, I don't know, Mickey Mouse or Bird and Ernie from Sesame Street, other than like Jane, Joe, and Sally. Um, the, those type of things really helped me realize it's cool to show off your big time kids, right? It's fun for us, but it might be not so cool for the head coach who we just gave ideas to our rival. Um, and maybe that kid has um, family issues and they don't want a certain family member to know what's going on, right? So these are all things ethically that we need to be more aware of. Um, and I really didn't think of much of that um, until I took that class. And it, it's definitely helped me. Um, and it's not science-based and it has nothing to do with strength conditioning per se. It's not in many textbooks I read in undergrad or grad school, but, you know, I, I think maybe it should be added in there. There should be some sort of research ethics class or uh, exercise science ethics. I, you know, I, I assume athletic training has some, some type of ethics and best practice, but I, I, I feel like our field will continue to grow as we look closer into the ethics behind our practices and how we serve our student athletes and our, our uh, clients. It's really powerful to think that deeply on it because I think uh, it brings a couple of thoughts. You know, I, I have one class back in grad school that just like stood out for me, it was psychology of the college-aged adult. And I don't think a lot of strength and conditioning students were taking it, but I was so fortunate I did because I took so many things from that. So I think it speaks to any students listening is that if you have a class, you have any marginal level of interest in taking, even if it's a little outside the norm, that might stick with you and, and be something that shapes your coaching philosophy going forward. But on the ethics side, I think this is so relevant for sports science and what we do with the data and information. There was a time we were collecting <laughs> more numbers than we could keep track with, keep track of. And it was something that, okay, testing's done. Now we're going to get into preseason. We're going to, we're just going to go play. If we get back to the numbers, whatever, it might just be, you know, height, weights, body fats on a Excel sheet handed to the coach. And then that phase is over. But now, especially as we get into more monitoring, you always have a picture or a dashboard communicating what's going on with that athlete or subjective information, private information, the whole question of whose data is it, athlete, athletes' rights. Um, there are so many uh, relevant conversations on that right now. And uh, I, think, I think it's really interesting. One thing on the college side I do want to ask you, this is something that in our college special interest group has, 
has been a very uh, big conversation lately is the whole NIL conversation. Is that something that you are having to make adjustments with your programming or you've seen at Delaware and what impact do you see that having? So currently I don't see it really interfering with uh, sport performance Um, here at Delaware, at least I haven't ran into any issues, but it, as student athletes learn more about how they can monetize based on their name, image, and likeness, you know, the, the things that we do put out, you know, they might say, well, if you're going to put this out on social media, then I deserve a tag. And, you know, it's my, it's me, it's my face, it's my name, right? You know, technically they have the right to their name and to do what they want with it. Um, you know, I, I just gave a report to one of our football players. Um, I don't know if he's uh, contracted with anybody via NIL, NIL, but he put out his stats himself from the sheet I gave him um, from GPS and he did what he wanted with it. I have no problem with it because it's his information and he chose to do with what he wanted with it. Um, but I could see it becoming a little um, more of an issue with some uh, bigger schools, potentially um, more power fives, the SEC, big 10, they might, those student athletes might see it as a way to get sponsorships with different performance technology which I don't see anything negative about that. That just helps with the buy-in from um, future recruits and, okay, well, this school has this and they utilize it and they do this with it. And this John Doe over here is using it and I can see what he's gaining from it. It may help with recruiting. So I, that's how I look at the positive with the buy-in. Um, it, it, it puts it out there more. Um, I don't think they would use it really like the data side of it. Um, it would be pretty much more of like, hey, look, I, I here's my relative strength or here's this my 40 speed that I hit or my top GPS max speed for the session. Um, I really don't see any issues here at Delaware as of now, um, but we're, you know, it's, it's so fresh and new. I think we're all still currently learning about how it may affect us. But just like I said, we just need to be, make sure we're communicating with compliance and understanding um, the ins and outs of it on a sport performance side of it to make sure we're not taking any actions that may or may not cause us issues down the line. Um, kind of what I was talking about with the ethics. Yeah, this, this is an important conversation and not to put you on the spot, but this is a, you know, we don't have all the answers right now. We're working through this for the first time. Our athletes are working through this for the first time. And these companies that are that are getting involved are, are also doing this for the first time. So I, I like that you spun it towards the positive there. And one thing that came through is, you know, yeah, you mentioned sharing data and in, in meeting with a football player. Well, I played college football and I, I don't remember that being sort of the narrative or process of, hey, we're going to do your performance uh, eval. Let's go in and we'll go through your report card here. Like, what? 
talk through that conversation. You know, how do you navigate those one-on-one conversations that maybe in strength and conditioning have always been reserved for the head coach? How do you do that on an athlete level? Yeah. So I think that's the most fun type of meetings I have is, um, and what's cool is usually it's sparked by the student athlete. Hey, can I come in and talk about my GPS numbers or my force plate information? Um, and what's really cool about UD and what I've created here is um, we have an athlete management system that I've created. Um, so we, we, we don't, we don't have um, a third party um, and I've created it and it's a snapshot and, and all the technology we have, GPS, force plates, um, uh, we have, 3D technology for velocity-based training. We have cameras on all of our racks in our uh, weight room. We take all of that information plus some KPIs. Um, so um, based on the team, what do you consider to be an elite athlete? So we're looking at a certain drill at practice, squat, bench, and an endurance test, let's say. Um, and that's all in one snapshot for our athletes so they can see where they're at. So when an athlete comes in to me, usually that report's a little different looking than what I give the coach because the coach is receiving specific stuff and information that is going to help them make actionable decisions and data-informed decisions to help them with practice or game planning. So with the student athlete, I shape it more based on performance, health, um, and keeping them on the field, the court, or in the pool as as much as they can, or to help them get more minutes, um, or be able to, instead of being um, second in the depth chart, giving them ideas of what they could do performance-wise and health-wise to move up a spot. So I try and map it where we're looking at the performance and their trends and what we've seen in the past. So if we know that in late September, our midterm period is going to start in early October, I'm sitting down with the athlete and say, okay, well, last year this happened. Your stress levels rose, your sleep suffered, your performance, like the statistics in the game weren't where you wanted them. So what steps can we now take? What action items, best practices can we be proactive with and get you started on now as we prepare for that period of time? Because we can't push midterms back, but we can prepare better for them while you're competing in your um, sport. So with our fall teams, when midterm season comes up, they're deep into season. Um, some of our teams are getting closer to playoffs. So they're in conference play where the, the competition matters very much in their standings to make it to conference championships and then NCAAs. So I string it that way. Um, I also, with the health side, if they're a chronic kid, if they've got chronic knee pain, we're coming up with strategies in the weight room that's going to keep them, uh, their longevity um, in a positive uh, linear line. So we're not seeing any peaks and valleys or declines. We want a nice linear straight line of health and improvement, but bang for a buck, quality over quantity. So I'm, I'm trying to help them understand due to this injury, we're going to do this differently in the weight room. Your strength coach has got you covered. You're going to do more recovery with your athletic trainer. And I would love for you to go and have a great conversation with our performance nutritionist to help make sure that you are prepared for the season. Um, and they'll provide you with 
education and resources that can help you plan your meals better for practice, post-recovery tips, um, what supplements you should or should not be taking. So yet again, it's communication with our whole sport performance team, but I'm just the voice leading kind of the horse to the trough, right? Um, I'm trying to help direct them because we, at the end of the day, I want the athletes to become accountable and adults. So I want them to become the best version of themselves in that day. But holistically, I want them to be good citizens um, in, in their area, wherever they're going to live in their community. Um, and that's what I'm trying to help them be accountable for their actions, for their needs. So then they can help those around them um, also rise to new levels. So, you know, instead of saying you're doing this wrong, this is bad. It's more about how can we improve your performance? How can we make you feel better? How can we improve your health? And how can we uh, stretch you out one more year because you have an extra year because of COVID, right? We have, we have kids that are going to have an extra year of eligibility. So we want to prepare the student athletes to be able to reach that new year instead of them saying, I don't think my body can handle this. We're setting them up for success by giving them the blueprint to reach their goal of competing for another year. I'm glad you mentioned that the extra year of eligibility, because I think that's something that came out of COVID, the COVID year, like how is that affecting, uh, and, and speak to, to your, your experience with it, but you know, how is that affecting the recruiting process, the, the athletes coming in, uh, the competition for scholarships and, and all those things, is that, are those, have those been challenges or concerns for the athletic department or how are, how are you guys looking at that? I see it more challenging for coaches in high school recruiting where they're saying to the student athlete recruit, hey, you might not get the scholarship that you're looking for in year one, but in year two, we can up the percentage of your scholarship. I think those are harder questions for the coaches that they may not have been ever dealt in, in their history of uh, being coaches, um, you know, the rosters are going to be bigger. Um, so far, almost all our rosters are bigger. So, you know, walk-ons, not going to be able to have as many walk-ons due to obviously um, roster management. Uh, that's going to also, if you look at the business side, that's extra shirts, that's extra food. Um, those are all costs that have to be weighed into the big picture. Um, and I'm talking about this just general, not just Delaware. Um, currently, I haven't had to deal with it yet, but I think next year we'll, we'll probably feel that a little bit more uh, with some of our athletes because everybody got it. So we got technically with last year's freshmen, they have an extra year. So we're going to be dealing with that for a couple of years now. Um, so, so that'll be a challenge for our coaching staff. I don't see it very challenging for our strength and conditioning coaches because if, and our athletic trainers, because if anything, we're just going to build better relationships with those student athletes that get an extra year, and then they can just help continue to be a, a voice for us and, and, and support us, um, in, in the field or in the weight room or in the athletic training facilities. Um, I think that one thing that the strength conditioning coaches need to be aware of is how they're progressing their athlete once as they reach that next year. So if I have a, a senior now and they have one more year, 
Um, I need to make sure that when I, we're, what we're doing now, strength conditioning coaches or sports science directors um, is preparing them to be able to make it through that next year. So if it's pulling back a little bit now based on uh, training age, um, injury history, those are things that I think out in the strength conditioning community, we should all be having conversations with our um, athletic trainers and our head coaches to see who's taking that COVID year and setting up plans. So I'm doing that with our women's basketball team. We are currently making plans. It's myself, the strength conditioning coach, the athletic trainer, the head coach. We met, we came up with what the coach is looking for, who are those players, and now the athletic trainer, the strength coach, and myself are going to sit down. We're going to populate a plan so we know that that athlete will be able to make it through this next year into their their COVID year, they're kind of calling it. So that extra year of eligibility due to COVID-19 pandemic. Um, and if you're not having that conversation now, we're going to see burnout. You know, last year was tough for everybody from the student athletes to the parents of the student athletes, to the coaches, to the strength and conditioning, to the athletic trainers, everybody. It was tough. And I think the way that we respond in this next year and, um, and the year after with eligibility and monitoring our athletes is gonna be key to success. And when I say success to providing the athlete the opportunity to play, win, lose, draw, it's giving them the opportunity to play is gonna be the success of the strength conditioning coach, having that conversation with the athletic trainer. That's key. And, and that's something new that we're all gonna to have to learn um, if we're not already having to deal with that. And redshirt, fifth year, seniors is big, but this is different. You know, th this is totally different. They played, they still got to play. So it wasn't, they were sitting out. They got the reps, they got the yards under their legs. We have to manage that now. I think it's, it's really interesting. There's a lot of new challenges that are being faced by the coaching community, the performance community, it's exciting to see programs like Delaware stepping it up, adding positions, roles, um, supporting the coaching community by, by bringing in more staff uh, and, and getting more resources to pour into student athletes, at, especially during this time. And uh, Christina, I just want to say thanks for being with us today. This was fun. Absolutely. This was awesome. I love getting to talk with you today, Eric. Yeah. So uh, for our listeners tuning in, what's the best way to, for them to get in touch? Yeah, so um, I'm pretty big on Twitter. Um, I've done the 66 days of data and that, I'm going to start that up uh, next Monday, actually, doing round two. Um, you'll get to see my uh, interns in action, uh, some of the student athletes uh, utilizing our performance technology. Um, I put out tutorials on easy ways to track um, and monitor um, on a budget. And my Twitter handle is at coach underscore R-A-Z two six. And you can also reach me at my email. It's C-R-A-S-N-A-K-E at U-D-E-L dot E-D-U. So I'm always free to chat it up. That's Christina Rasnick, the Director of Sports Science and Analytics at the University of Delaware. Christina, we will put your Twitter handle in our show notes so everybody can follow your 60 days of data. And uh, I'm looking forward to that. And uh, for everyone tuning in today, thanks for listening. 
And we'd also like to thank Sorenex Exercise Equipment. We appreciate their support. From the NSCA, thank you for listening to the NSCA Coaching Podcast. We serve you, the coaching community. So follow, subscribe, and download for future episodes. We look forward to connecting with you again soon and hope you'll join us at an upcoming NSCA event or in one of our special interest groups. For more information, go to nsca.com. This was the NSCA's Coaching Podcast. The National Strength and Conditioning Association was founded in 1978 by strength and conditioning coaches to share information, resources, and help advance the profession. Serving coaches for over 40 years, the NSCA is the trusted source for strength and conditioning professionals. Be sure to join us next time.